Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast for Salem Heights Church. We meet weekly at 9 and 11 a.m. For more information, visit SalemHeightsChurch.org. Man, aren't you thankful to be here this morning? Yeah. I want to remind you of two things. We've been doing it pretty much every week, just reminding you of uh, some things that may happen in the room. Uh, Two gifts to us that have uh, been evident every single week. Uh, One of them is we have children in the auditorium. Aren't you thankful for that? To the parents, if you brought your kids, we're so blessed that you uh, have done that, that you have joined us. Uh, We're thankful when they color on your pant leg and when they make all kinds of neat notes. Uh, We've been blessed to see some of those. Uh, If you hear some little shouts out, somebody else that's desiring to preach alongside me at the same time this morning, just bless them as they're uh, here. We're thankful. I do believe in the future there's going to be moments where we're going to say we miss having all those little guys in the auditorium with us. Won't you agree? Yeah. Let those parents know that. Yeah. Second thing is, uh, we do have college students here, some that are uh, from the university. They've just been attending alongside. They're just getting to know you. And we gave you a challenge a little while ago. If you see a college student, we wanted you to bless them with some pocket money, right? Did anybody, I won't ask you for hands of who did that. Um, But I do know there were a few kids. One kid said, somebody walked up and gave me 60 bucks, right? And they're like, I didn't know what to do that. I don't know how you Venmo that to a friend or how I use it. But they were so excited that they were blessed with money. Here's the reverse challenge I have. If you're a college student and you've been with us for more than two weeks, I want you not to give one of those older folks money, just still ask, okay? But I want you to remember their name. What is somebody that you've been attending with? Uh, what is their name and what is a prayer request that they have? The way that you can bless this congregation is by helping them continue in their faith. They've made a decision to join us out here, and so uh, pray for those that would bless you, and that's your challenge this week. Are we good? Actually, there's gonna be more right here. Let's uh, prepare for God's word. There's a couple of things that um, came to my attention as I was studying this week for uh, this passage. We're gonna be looking at 2 Kings chapter 7. But uh, last year, CBS and Offbeat Magazine reported a phenomenon. It's really crazy. There's a uh, road uh, in California, and the, the actual uh, phrasing for the article was, California drivers keep ignoring closed road signs. Now, I was just going to say that phrase, and you would say, yeah, maybe the sign was off to the side. Notice what they have to get past. That's cement pillars, Okay. And then there's a litany of pictures of cars who have ignored this closed road sign in the evening. For whatever reason, they decide, here's just one of the pictures. Yeah, he's sorry that he did that. (laughs) He feels real bad. Ignoring overt warnings can be hazardous to your health. But maybe you can't relate. You've never disobeyed a road sign. You've never disobeyed what it says, the speed limit. Uh, You have always thoughtfully parked only where you were supposed to. You can't relate, but uh, maybe you can understand this guy who didn't see the wet paint sign. Nice new suit. Clearly making a great deal on his phone, but maybe you missed the signs. 
They're right there. They're evident to some people, but they weren't evident to you and you've had the consequence. Maybe it is that you've just decided that you've heard the things, but you're going to argue your point. Anybody here want to admit that's who they are? I read about a man this last week who had a lawsuit against Winnebago. Here's why. He set the cruise control on the freeway and went to make coffee. And he sued them because their warnings were not um, explicit enough to tell him that he could not do that and still have the car remain on the road. He was the only one in the Winnebago. He, of course, lost his lawsuit, but he said the warnings were not explicit enough. Do you ever think, well, if I just knew exactly what I was supposed to do, I think it's evident to the average individual that would not work. What are the warnings we're supposed to listen to? We're going to take a look at a section of scripture here, and everything that leads up to this section has been preceded by a good and kind God with warnings. They should have known better before they got to this situation. And the reason that it's relevant is I believe that our world is crashing into a similar scenario now. And we're acting just like them. Second Kings chapter seven. Our series is The Unseen Hand and every single week we've brought up this theme. In every generation, God's unseen hand is working all things together for our good and to his glory. Do you believe that's true? He is at work, though you don't see him. And what we're gonna highlight is that he consistently uses his word, brings it up to our view so that we will be able to respond rightly. Second Kings chapter seven, we are gonna read the whole thing, so I'm not gonna have you stand. Uh, I want you to sit respectfully and be able to listen to this, but I want you to understand something that is happening as we enter into this passage. If you go to Leviticus chapter 26 and Deuteronomy 30 and read those passages on your own, you will find a grid that lays over the entirety of the Old Testament. It tells you what will happen before it happens. God, before he puts them in the promised land, said, I'm going to bless you if you will follow me. I'm going to forgive you any time that you turn to me. I'm going to make a way for you to have a relationship with me. But if you refuse, and he gives them a warning, the first time that you refuse, I'm just going to give you the consequences of those actions. And that is, if you want to go to those other gods, let's see if they can protect you from the enemies around you. And he begins to walk them through the consequences of ignoring his word. Five different stages laid out very plainly, horrifically, in Leviticus chapter 26. He says, I'll bless you if you will follow me, but if not, I'm trying to push you back to me through these warnings. And the final stage, the final stage of decline out of those five in Leviticus 26 would be cannibalism, open borders, Not a political punch here, guys. Literally, the cities would have no walls. They would be unprotected and overrun. This would lead to anxiety, fear, and depression in the people. Read it in Leviticus 26. The final stage seems familiar. In 2 Kings, we find ourselves in stage five. The people have ignored God's word. They're in this situation. They're overwhelmed with anxiety. They have now been encircled by an enemy. They have no food. They haven't for months. The implication of the passage is that it's probably been a year and a half to two years. There's nothing left. At the city gates, a cup of dove's dung was $15. A donkey's head, which was an unclean animal, was $275 so that you and your family would have something to eat. There is nothing left. 
Everything unclean is being eaten. They're decimated and afraid. And this is what happens. Second Kings chapter seven, it says this. Elisha, by the way, has been challenged by the king. The king says, there's a Christian. I think the answer is, let's kill him, right? That seems familiar as well, doesn't it? Elisha looks at him and says, um, I have a word from the Lord for you. Elisha replies, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord says, at about this time tomorrow, at Samaria's gate, six quarts of fine flour will sell for half an ounce of silver. 12 quarts of barley will sell for half an ounce of silver. $15 and you'll be able to feed your whole family, he says, rather than just eating one cup of that dung. The captain, the king's right-hand man, responded to the man of God. Look, even if the Lord were to make windows in heaven, could this really happen? He said, it's not even possible. You're just trying to get out of the harm we intend to do to you. And Elijah announced, you will in fact see it with your own eyes, but you will not eat any of it. Now, four men with a skin disease, it transfers the scene to outside the gates. We're sitting at the entrance of the city gate, and they said to each other, uh, why just sit here until we die? If we say, let's go into the city, we're going to die because the famine is in the city. But if we sit here, we'll also die. So now, come on, let's surrender to the Aramean camp. If they let us live, we live. If they kill us, we still die. That's good logic, right? <laughs> so the diseased men get up at twilight, the lepers, and they go to the Aramean camp. And when they came to the camp at the edge, they discovered no one was there. For the Lord had caused the Aramean camp to hear the sound of chariots' horses and a large army. The Arameans had said uh, to each other, the king of Israel must have hired the kings of the Hittites and the kings of Egypt to attack us. So they'd gotten up and fled at twilight, abandoning their tents, horses, and donkeys. The camp was intact. They had fled for their lives. Now just pause right here. Do you believe that God can work that way? When these diseased men came to the edge of the camp, they went into the tent to eat and drink. They were starving. They picked up silver and gold and clothing and they went off and they hid them. That's only natural. They came back and they entered another tent and picked up other things and hid them. And then they said to each other, this is a comedic moment. We're not doing what's right. <laughs> Today is a day of good news. If we are silent and we wait until morning light, our punishment will catch up with us. By the way, who would know other than God? All those people are dying. There's nobody chasing them. Everybody else is gone. This is a conscience before God that's on display. He says, so let us go and tell the king's household. So the diseased men came and they called to the city's gatekeepers and they told them, we went to the Aramean camp and no one was there. No human sounds. Nothing but tethered horses and donkeys and the tents are intact. The gatekeepers called out. The news, and it was reported to the king's household. The king got up in the night and said to his servants, let me tell you what the Arameans have done to us. They know we're starving. They've left the camp to hide in the open country, thinking when they come out of this city, we'll take them alive and go into the city. The king, of course, knows everything because he's done so well to this point. But one of the servants responded, please, let messengers take five of the horses that are left in the city. Their fate is like the rest of the Israelite community who will die. Let's send them and see. And the messengers took two chariots with the horses and the king sent them after the Aramean army. Go and see. So they followed them as far as the Jordan. 
And they saw that the whole way was littered with clothes and equipment and Arameans had thrown off in haste. The messengers returned and told the king and the people went out and they plundered the Aramean camp. And it was then that six quarts of fine flour was sold for half an ounce of silver and 12 quarts of barley sold for half an ounce of silver according to the word of the Lord. The king had appointed the captain, his right-hand man, to be in charge of the city gate, but the people trampled him in the gate. He died just as the man of God had predicted when the king had come to him. When the man of God had said to the king, about this time tomorrow, 12 quarts of barley will sell for half an ounce of silver, and six quarts of fine flour will sell for half an ounce of silver at Samaria's gate. This, the captain had answered to the man of God, look, even if the Lord were to make windows in heaven, could this really happen? And Elisha said, in fact, you will see it with your own eyes, but you won't eat any of it. Do you believe that actually happened? A couple of things as we go through this that I want you to pay attention to. There is a theme that gets repeated in this passage over and over again. In fact, there's two aspects of it that get highlighted over and over. The word of God and the results that follow of not listening to the word of God. Anytime God takes time to repeat himself, three different times he highlights what that great man that was the king's right-hand man had said, what had happened at the gate, the result of it. It gets repeated three different times because God wants you to know when he says something, he doesn't just say it accidentally. And God still says stuff to us today. There were two kids Finally got permission to play at each other's house and one kid goes over to the other kid's house on a regular basis and he sees in the corner grandma. He introduces Johnny to uh, his grandma and every single time that you come into the house, grandma is reading the Bible and finally Johnny says, man, I gotta ask you a question. Why is it that every single time that I come into the house, your grandma is reading the Bible? And he says, you know, I'm not positive but my mom says she's cramming for her final. Here's what God says. You don't have to cram for a final. You're already forgiven if you know Christ, by the way. Amen? But life is an open book test. God has given us his word and how we should live and what we ought to think. The first thing that I want us to see is that God's unseen hand keeps placing his unchangeable word in front of our eyes. He keeps revealing to us what it is we should see and what we should know. It's not going to be a mystery. If you're reading the book at all, God's going to bring to mind those things that are important. God's word shows up everywhere. Some, of it, some people use it on accident. I was reading a forum by a group of atheists under the title, you can search this, Atheism Has a Misogyny Problem, okay? A group of atheists in a closed chat were having a discussion about why it is so uncomfortable for females to go to their atheist parties. There's a whole list of reasons why that would be the case. Most of all, they just said, because we're all just animals acting the way that animals do, you just gotta put up with the way animals behave. And it devolved into a very unhealthy, uncomfortable situation for them. Supposedly high-minded, great thinkers treating people horribly in the hallways. This is what one person said to another on an atheist forum. They said, folks, I don't think that this should be the case for us high-minded individuals why don't we just treat others like we want to be treated? <laughs> and the guy in parentheses, the response to him is says, hey, Christians, please turn away for this. And then says, you're accidentally quoting scripture. 
How should we behave? Well, God tells us how we ought to behave. Now let's bring it back into not believing in God. That's impossible. Some quote it on accident. Some people use it to advance their position. Ever hear it in politics? Disingenuinely quoted throughout the ranks. Now listen to me. I know that we have a lot of politics that's about to hit the stage, okay? Here's what I want you to understand. Jesus is not running for president, okay? But he would like to be recognized by his people in that season. Amen? Amen. Vote whatever scripture and a clean conscience will allow you to vote. You should vote. You are a citizen. But I want you to know that someday God's going to come and clean the whole mess up and we'll sit under a perfect king. Amen? Amen? It will not look like it does today. Some quote it to advance their position. Some people use scripture like magic. Believers. You will quote it as a little spice in the morning. If you're having a bad day, you will say, well, it's because I didn't do my devotions. We fling it out on our texts and different socials to people as a way to either bless them or encourage them or stab at them. Well, remember this. We use it like magic, but we do not sit under it. Some use it as inspiration for even their apostasy. Sam Harris would quote, uh, different aspects of the Bible, taking it out of context, but stabbing it at people who were struggling in their faith and say, do you really believe this? Leaving them in a place where they don't know how to respond. Some people use it only for a warning. We'll speak more on that in just a few moments. But the word of God is so much richer than that. Some, by God's grace, use it to guide and guard their hearts. That's the intention of Scripture. How should I live and how is it that we as a society should move forward? That's what God wants from us. When the word of God is ignored, the world rots. I want you to imagine for a moment, I was reading this, uh, this book called The Resilient Pastor and in there there's an illustration of planting roses in uh, gardening. I just want you to imagine for a moment that you're actually trying to plant a rose. Listen to this description of the problem. And I want you to think in your own life of whether or not this is true. He's speaking to pastors here and he says, the problem with discipleship in America is not that we lack the resources to reflect biblically or theologically on relevant issues. Those are plentiful. The problem is that we refuse to listen to anything, even biblical teaching, that contradicts or challenges our tribal identity. The Bible no longer has the power to shake us, to wake us up, or to open our eyes and our ears. When people are being discipled by their favorite podcaster or blogger or Instagram influencer or by a news network or by their social media feed at rates right now that blow time in the church out of the water, how can a pastor or a church or a discipler compete? When these various influences fertilize Keyword: their opinions and demands, the fruit that they bear is division and dissension in the church, or maybe even a departure. This is the result. Fertilize, that's the key word. What do you have to do to make a rose grow? Fertile soil, all of these things. I remember a famous story about a, an older lady. She had a chicken coop and a neighbor that had moved in next door that she didn't very much like. So she scooped out her chicken coop every single day. She just dropped it over the fence onto the neighbor's side. One day that lady had a stroke. She was in the hospital. 
And her next door neighbor, the one who she had been thankfully, you know, dropping uh, the scoop after scoop after scoop out of the chicken coop over her fence, shows up at her place and brings her the most beautiful roses. Does it three days in a row. Why would you be so nice to me, she asked. Why would you be so kind and bring me these flowers? She said, actually, these are the flowers that grew out of the scoops you were throwing over the fence. (laughs) I grew them in the soil. You helped grow these. She chose to bless rather than be angry. Here's the problem that we have in our society, folks. There is a lot of fertilizer and no roses. Some of you are on news feeds and you're focusing on different things. You're grabbing a lot of the world's fertilizer, but there's nothing planted in the garden that can gain from it. We can only get use out of that fertilizer. We can only get growth if God has planted something and if he waters it. The word of God grows in the heart of the child of God through the spirit of God. Amen? The spirit of God using the word of God will grow you, but if there's nothing that's been planted there, you gotta go to the living God first and say, Lord, would you plant something useful that can grow in this nasty soil? Will you do it? God's word tells us what will happen and who we should be in any season. I'm just gonna have you write down uh, on your own an example, um, 2 Timothy 3. Let me give you the, the thumbnail sketch of it. In 2 Timothy 3, you can just read that on your own. Uh, it says that in the end time, that people will be boastful, arrogant, lovers of self rather than lovers of God. Uh, they will have the skin of the truth stuffed with lies, literally having a form of godliness but denying its power. What is the power? It's the spirit of God and the word of God. They'll have a form of godliness. They'll call themselves Christian, but they will stuff their lives full of opinions that don't come from him. And then at the end of that chapter, it says, but who are you to be? It doesn't just leave you with a warning. It doesn't just leave you feeling sour. It says, who are you to be? You're to follow the word of God. God has a plan for you, a rich plan for you to thrive in a season of brokenness. And he gives us the word of God, living and active. God's word tells us what will happen and who we should be. We're living in a season that looks like that. Second main thing that I want you to see out of this passage in 2 Kings is that God's unseen hand orchestrates good news. It orchestrates good news. There are these four men sitting at the gate that just happen to be in the perfect place. They can't run back into the city. No one would have them. They can't just sit there because they're going to die. They are forced to have to go and see what God has already done. These are messengers that have no choice but to move forward. God is the one that orchestrated that good news so that his people would not die inside the gates thinking they had no hope. Now, good news has a recognizable theme all the way through the scriptures. I want to ask you this very quickly. I just want you to listen for a moment, and I want you to tell me if you can recognize the theme and what is about to happen. First theme. Yeah, you're getting it, right? Now, I was hoping that I could bring a shark out on the stage for the sake of the kids, but somebody thought that might be too spooky. What's about to happen? That's the theme from... There we go. And what's about to happen? Shark attack. Yeah, somebody's about to get tasted. That's right. All right, here we have another one. Yeah? You got it? If you're old enough, you do. This is the theme from 
And what do we have? A whole bunch of guys running on the beach. That's right. Or you have a guy in another movie, any old movie, they'll pull this theme out and he has fallen to the ground. He jumps up and he's running after whatever it is. His first love, a sandwich. It could just be anything. Third theme. That, what's that from? Yeah, what's about to happen? Darth Vader's about to come in, right? Okay, now let me, let me have uh, one last theme here. All right, we'll pause there real quick. That's not actually a theme, but what is about to happen? Yeah, nothing, that's right. Just angry people or you're about to get into an accident, right? Here's the reality. We could have 10 different answers to a honking horn. It's just somebody warning us we don't know of what. Can I tell you what the problem is? In all of these other themes, even Darth Vader's theme, do you want to know what? We know what is about to happen. There is a result. There's something that's about to happen. But we have reduced the Christian message to honking at our neighbor. We have. It's an indistinct sound. Are they mad about something? Are they trying to tell me that I'm in danger? Are they trying to say hello? I don't even know. We've reduced it to that. Here are grand themes in scripture. Good news all the way through scripture has a pattern. I'm just gonna say it very quickly and I'll tell you where I got this from. All the way through scripture, you will see that God is restating to his people that my mercy is the same generation after generation. Just turn to me. That is what he will say at some point in the scripture. He is reminding them of his word and Elisha in this passage is saying, this is what God is going to do. He's gonna bless his people. And then he'll do some mighty deed that will have these themes involved. It'll scatter the proud. The Arameans were there and they were just sitting outside the gate. They were, their tent pegs were driven deep. They could not unpack uh, what they had right there because they were sitting outside the gate just confident they were gonna conquer Israel. It topples the mighty. The king and the general thought they were something special and they're walking around inside of a basically captured city as if they still are something significant. The scripture will exalt uh, when the the good news is revealed, it will exalt the lowly, the man of God and the lepers are lifted up. Elisha, who is inside the gate suffering with everybody else, by the way, Believer, we are called quite often to suffer with others that are around us so that the word of God can go out to them. And the lepers on the outside get lifted up. Those three are important. It's the beginning of what's called a chiastic structure here uh, as it focuses on exalting the lowly, scattering the proud, toppling the mighty, exalting the lowly. It it reminds me very quickly of, of a story Two people who might have needed to both be humbled a little bit, a wife and the CEO of a Fortune 500 company, they pull up to a gas station and there at the gas station, running the gas station, is the wife's former boyfriend. They're sitting there quietly as the gas is being filled and they drive away and the CEO looks at her and goes, I bet I know what you're thinking. And she goes, yeah, if I would have married him, you'd have been a CEO. (laughs) He was thinking, I bet... You're glad you married me, not the case. Sometimes we uh, get our own mind revealed. We both think that we are too much. God actually topples the mighty, exalts the loyalty. But look at this also. In this theme, he satisfies the hungry, everybody. 
He sends the rich away. The Aramean army, filled with all these goods, they get sent away because they were using it for oppression. And he helps his servants remember forever. Where do I get this theme? Mary's song in Luke 1, 46 through 56. This is what she sang when she found out she was with child that would be the savior. Mary's song is an outline. She says, this theme you will see over and over again, and it will be supremely evident in Jesus. This outline is right here in this passage. We see the exaltation of the lowly through the word of God. But also good news comes with a responsibility. At some point, these men go away, and the most interesting thing happens. A Jewish lore tells us that actually one of the men that was sitting at the gate is a man by the name of Gehazi. Just one chapter earlier, he was in ministry with Elijah. As they are working together, they end up seeing a man healed from leprosy by God's hand alone. And Elisha sends him away and says, I don't need anything from you. The guy had offered him 10 changes of clothes and all of this wealth. And he says, no, I'm not taking anything. God's taking care of me. You just go and let others know that there is a God in Israel. Well, Gehazi runs after him and says, you know what? The man of God changed his mind. He'd like a few changes of clothes, you know, and you can send them to me. And he ferrets those away and hides them on his own. He gets kicked out of ministry. He's sitting there at the gate. That's the story. And here he is, white as snow with all the other lepers, with no place else to go, dying, and he is alone. And God gives him a chance of redemption to carry good news back to those people, to once again fulfill ministry. These lepers that are sitting outside there, everyone has rejected them. They get an opportunity to go and to share good news with people that everybody needs to hear. They are the messengers of God's provision. It's a significant thing. Do you believe that God can use the broken, the thrown away, to share the greatest news on earth? He can. I had a different illustration, but I just want to, I saw Matt on the way in this morning, and I don't know how many of you had this hit your news feed or your friends shared it with you, but this last week, something beautiful happened. Fox News reported uh, on a, a theme that they call crisis in the city. You can find this report that was on there. They actually followed Matt into one of the camps here in Salem. They shared the entire thing, but this is the most profound thing that had happened. Matt was allowed to share his story about how God had allowed him first to be broken and the life that he was living that was not for the Lord gets set aside by the answer that is given through the gospel. He puts his faith on display. He's walking in this camp and now he's sharing the love of Christ with other people who are broken and in need. And this expose that they did shares not only what it is that has impacted Matt in his life, but that this gospel is going into places that most other people would not venture or would not believe good news could appear. This fits with that theme. If we sit right here with the good news, we go home today and we take that good news, that gold, that change of clothes, the transformation in our life, and we just go hide it away in our home. If we walk away and we take these good things and we just treasure them in our heart, but we do not share them with other people, this is what these lepers understood. What we are doing is not right. We've got to share with others. We have to tell others who are as broken as we are, there is good news and a God who has provided for us. Amen? That's the theme. 
It is written all the way through this passage. It is set up and it is teed up for us. There is no possible way that anybody else could have an answer, only the living God. And by the way, there is no one else right now, there is no one who has an answer for what's going on in our society. Nobody. Nobody has an answer. You can't flip a switch and all of a sudden everybody will think right. There's only one who can solve it. Do you want to know who it is? It's Jesus Christ. It's God. It is God using his word will reshape the hearts and minds of people. And we have come to believe that that cannot happen. Do you know that it can happen? Salem Heights Church, do you know that it can happen? Yes. It can happen. Yes, revival can happen even in our city, but not because of our efforts or our ability or our organization, but because of our God. And this passage highlights the fact that God can send us broken messengers to a broken world. In fact, he desires for us to think it would be wrong not to do so. Amen? Amen. We're going to transition right now to the Lord's Supper. And so uh, for those that are watching at home, I'd love for you to get uh, your elements. If you're watching from the church, this would be the part where you transition right now. And I just want you on the way in, you got the uh, elements that are here. Uh, if you did not get those elements, if you would like those, just put your hands up. The guys will be ready to make sure that uh, you have those. Put your hand up. They'll make sure. Leave it up until they come to you. But this is what we do. Um, in preparation for this. And I'm gonna to add to it just a little bit this morning. It says in uh, 1 Corinthians that before we take these elements, these elements that are a picture of the body and blood of Christ, shed for us so we can be a part of the fellowship, so that we can be forgiven, so that we can be with him forever. It says before we take these elements that we're to investigate our own hearts to see if there's anything between us and the Lord. I'm gonna ask you also to consider right now, because we've been focusing on the word of God this morning, is there a passage that has been nagging at you that you've been resisting? A thought from the Lord that you know is from him and he is saying, this is what I would have you yield to. Because I believe that the word of God is, is speaking, not just when you have this open, but as you read that book, it sticks in your mind. It is continually living and active and cutting away at those things that would rot your soul. He's not gonna leave you without quickening your conscience through the word. Are you ignoring a passage of scripture? Is there a thought from the Lord that has been pushing at you and you've been saying, Lord, no, I don't wanna yield to that. I want us as we bow our heads, Close our eyes as we prepare our hearts, not just to say, Lord, is there anything between you and I, but if there is something you know he's been nagging at you, he's been pushing at you, I'm gonna ask you to, to just tell the Lord today, I, I yield. Lord, I'm gonna give that to you. We're gonna bow our heads, close our eyes, and ask right now as uh, AJ and the team, um, just give us a few moments. AJ, are you guys gonna play right now? <laughs> I didn't check on that. All right, I'm gonna ask you to bow your heads, close your eyes right now, we're gonna pray. And then we'll take these elements.
Father God, you have impacted our hearts. You have allowed us to know the gospel. For many of us, Father, this has been a long time. We've been walking with you for many years. For some in the room, this is a brand new experience. They've known of you, we have known of you, but are only just responding in faith. Father, for everyone, you give us an opportunity to reset our hearts, to realign ourselves with what it is that we should be focused on. The soon return of Christ and living as believers in an age that is desperate. So we pray, Father, that you would help us first to be, have clean hearts, to be prepared. Father, to take uh, these elements in a way that is worthy, that also focuses our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Help us to be faithful. Father, I pray that you would reinstill in us a faith that actually believes that you are still at work, that you're not done, that you haven't left it up to us to try and figure out how to clean the mess. Help us to trust that you not only have not abandoned us, but you can fill us to be a part of the answer. Father, build our faith and help moments like these to bring clarity, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.